HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by the Dairy Farm Families of Wisconsin, the Wisconsin Milk Marketing Board. Did you know that today Wisconsin produces more than 600 varieties, types, and styles of American, international style, and original cheese that win more awards than any other state or country? To learn more, visit eatwisconsincheese.com. Thank you for listening to Heritage Radio Network. We are a member-supported, nonprofit food radio station. That means that every single thing we do, from broadcasting 35 weekly shows for free to bringing you exclusive content from sold-out food events across the country to offering scholarships to high school students, is only possible thanks to the support of our loyal members. And we want you to join the club. Become a member during our 2017 Summer Drive to get access to sweet swag and pledge your support to the world's only food radio station. Visit heritageradionetwork.org slash donate to become a member now. Hello and welcome to Cutting the Curd. This is Greg Blaze, and today I'm so excited to welcome back friend of the show and rock star cheesemaker Andy Hatch of Uplands Cheese Company in Wisconsin. Thanks for stopping by our studio here in Bushwick, Brooklyn, Andy. Oh, you bet, Greg. Anytime, every time. Love being here. Happy to be in New York for a minute. Yeah, and I have not been back um, to Roberta's in, in a couple of years, and this this place is even cooler. It's like the ra- the rabbits, the Warren is expanded. Yeah, it definitely has. It's uh, it's gotten bigger even since I've been here. So, but the pizza's still killer, you know, and the people are still great. So, you know, and the show's still rocking. We try you our guys best. Do a great job. Thank yeah. you so much. Um, so since I took over hosting for Ann, uh, we've had you on the show about three times, my favorite of which was episode 195, uh, all about the relationship between cheese making and making music with you and Soyoung of Andante Dairy. And now we have over 300 shows available on heritageradionetwork.org. It's really incredible. I think the last time you were here in this studio was with Ann at the very beginning of Cutting the Curd. So uh, thank you so much for all the info you've shared with us over the years. We appreciate it. Wow, of course. Yeah, I'm a long-time listener myself. Yeah, man. Thanks so much. And we had you on also to talk about secession planning for cheesemakers and how you were a part of the secession plan for Uplands. 
Uh, so you've had about three years in as part owners of Uplands, correct? That's right. How's that going? Uh, really well. I, I mean, as I probably mentioned in that last uh, session, you know, by the time we bought the farm, we'd been running it for a number of years. So operationally, day to day, the way things are done on the farm didn't change at all. But of course, you know, mentally, you take on debt and you're, you know, the one who signs all the checks, it feels a little bit different. But three years in, we're we're still doing really well. We still uh, do things the way we always have, and that's still working for us. There's been a lot of secession lately. <laughs> I mean, a lot. A lot of shit has changed and gone on. Yeah, yeah. Last, last time we talked about it, it felt like there had been a swell, and now another, really. Yeah. I mean, especially you look at the retail side as well as the producer's side, and yep. Uh, big fish uh, incorporating smaller fish. A bigger fish getting eaten by bigger, bigger fish. <laughs> I wasn't going to use the word eaten. I was like, well, but um, yeah. I, and, you know, the people smarter than I am about macroeconomics will maybe tell you that it's a natural evolution for an industry. Uh, I, I don't know I don't how much know, of that I believe. I don't know much that I, Not I believe, believe but, but you know what I'm saying? Like, Yeah, I mean... Th- the interesting question is, uh, you know, why a small company sells to a bigger company. Sure. And so to unpack that, you've got to ask, well, what options do they have Definitely. which are viable and more viable? So it gets complicated when you get to that point. Uh, I can say from the perspective of Uplands, you know, I started working there a little over 10 years ago and it started talking to Mike right away about trying to take over. Uh, so being a young person with, um, you know, no money, it, it it was a daunting proposition, and we're a pretty small business. You know, we sell a little bit less than two million dollars of cheese a year, right? Uh, and so we're smaller than Cowgirl, Redwood, Vermont Creamery. Uh, you know, some of these other Rothcase, Cypress Grove. Uh, so it was difficult, but not impossible for me to to get the deal done, just in terms of making the numbers work. Sure. Uh, I think, you know, once businesses uh, get that next magnitude bigger from us, you know, producers are selling eight, ten, fifteen million dollars of cheese. It's awfully hard to imagine a young apprentice or a manager um, taking over by him or herself. And so, uh, you know, the vision that you hear from certain people is, well, why can't we just stay independent and stay small? It's, you know, the numbers are very difficult to make work at, at that scale. And so that, you know, it's something we're not going to f- figure out in all of its complexity sitting here, but there's really no way getting around the financial element of that. Of that. You know, you've, you've grown your company to a certain size. There are only uh, certain types of entities that, that can buy it from you. Totally. It- what I found interesting, I recently traveled up to Vermont uh, with Anne, and uh, we were in, uh, we were talking with uh, Matteo Keeler mm. we were at Jasper Hill, and we were talking about, I mean, you at least have cows. Cows, you know, can produce milk for a longer period of time than, say, sheep. You know, mm. um, where not only do you have all of the, ex- if you have a sheep dairy, you're, or even a goat dairy, you have all of these exterior extraneous costs. Plus, you have a startling lack of milk after a certain amount of time. You know, there's only a maximum amount of money that you can make by making cheese with the animals giving you the amount of milk maximum that they can over any given period of time. You know, so I, I can understand why a farm that produces sheep's milk, cheese, or a sheep dairy, a sheep farm, or goat dairy might 
think I got to get out of this or I need something else to subsidize this, you know? Yeah, like, and and I think um, the conditions are getting more difficult for uh, smaller producers. And so there's you know, litigious shit that's just insane now. Yeah, the regulatory costs are higher. I think um, if we're talking about, you know, kind of artisan cheese either produced domestically or, or imported cheese, it's crowded market right now. I mean, Quite you on crowded. the buying side of things, you, you, you have so many choices now. That puts pressure on prices. I think uh, it's small enough for the small producers to survive, but for a young person to then go to the bank and say, hey, I want to take over this business, surely really surviving, it just it, it, doesn't, it doesn't pencil out. Oftentimes, uh, so well that math doesn't a, add up. Yeah, no it's a very, it's, it's an awkward place to be right now. I think as a a, a, a small artisan cheesemaker who's say bigger than farmers market scale, trying to distribute regionally or even nationally is it's difficult place to be uh, to survive, and then let alone to to fund a, a transition. Uh, there are, I mean, but there have been a few. Uplands is one. Uh, uh, Goat Lady Dairy in North Carolina is sure. in the process of doing it. I believe you know uh, Rick and Helen's kids at Meadow Creek are doing it in in the family. Um, so I, I, it's not impossible, but it requires a, I I would imagine a, a sacrifice in terms of um, maybe not your quality of life because you love what you do, but in a certain way to keep it in the family, so to speak, you have to understand that there are certain things that you may not be able to do. That's right. And as a person selling the business, um, your children or your apprentice or your manager probably can't write you the, they the can't. big check. They're working for you. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm glad that you're around. <laughs> you know? Well, thanks. Yeah. And uh, I, you know, I, it's also worth making the point that just because these smaller companies are now owned by bigger companies... Uh, you know, that's that's not to say that they're going to stop behaving independently and, you know, do the things we, we rely on small independent producers to do. Come up with new cheeses. Sure. Uh, continue the traditional methods of the old cheeses, you know, not compromise the integrity of the products they've always made. And so, I mean, you, you look at some of the people leading the, the companies uh, that have sold, uh, Adeline in Vermont and... You know the the figureheads in in California; uh, those women are are still there, and and you get the sense that the integrity of those businesses are, is is sound. Well, they are still operating. Then that's right. Uh, the, those people are still in the in the picture, and uh, more so than them, their employees are still in the picture. Uh, a lot of times, those people have varying degrees of day to day responsibility outside mm. of being the figurehead, and uh, I would imagine, and I don't know. Um, that they keep most of those people around uh, because they aren't they aren't being bought out because the businesses are failing. Hmm. You know they don't need to be revamped. I don't think I don't know, but no. that's my that's my my idea. What's your what would be the greatest fear you would have turning your business over to a larger company? What what would the It's you know it's hard for me to wrap my mind around that. I'm 36. I, I can't even, uh, I, I picture the rest of my life being spent doing what I do, or most of it. I'm sure if you asked me this when I'm 60, I'd have an answer. If I'm still doing this show, I'll have you on and I'll, I'll talk here. to you about it. Deal. <laughs> um, I, I don't know. I mean, I imagine there, there are finances at stake. There's a certain amount of pride and reputation at stake. 
um, you know, what's the scariest part of that? I, I couldn't say. I mean, is it no. that, and this, because this is what I'm asking myself, you, you, I would, I will continue, to, I support a lot of these businesses. I purchase cheese from, from VBC, I've purchased cheese from Cowgirls, and I, my fear would be that the that the ingredients or the you know that the process would be compromised yeah, somehow. Right. Yeah, but right. I feel like and, and we we always are scared of big business um, for good, very good reasons. We see its destructive power at play in the United States every day. However, I I what I hope is that these people purchase these these operations to get a better understanding of what it takes to do business on a smaller scale so that they can be more courteous and use their funds, which is really their skill. Their skill is having funds, you know, to support the business and so that they could spread out their, their, their capital wealth in a, in a more um, expedient and courteous way. Yeah. And that's certainly the hope, you know, that, that we don't see, Changes for the worse in these businesses, which are touchstones for all of Completely. us. Completely, Cowgirl, VBC, Cypress Group. Yeah, uh, and and now we're just as often in the last few weeks talking about it on the the retail side. So producers yeah. now are talking to each other, saying, you know, what's it going to be like to deal with Whole Foods going forward? Right. What's it going to be like to deal with Murray's going forward? Right. Um, so it's happening on both sides. What's you know, your concern uh, there? Um, if you have one, yeah. I mean, I just you know, I, I just came from uh, Murray's, and I sat down across the table with people I've sat down with for years, for years, and I, I feel like I can say anything to those guys. Absolutely, address problems, fears, you know, make plans, admit mistakes. Um, uh, you know, the fear is that that the next time I come, I'm sitting down across from a deli manager from Cincinnati. Sure. Uh, and he doesn't understand uh, me or my business. And uh, but I, what can we do you know, to fight that? Really, you, I, I don't know. I mean, the, the Murray's guys said that the you know the Kroger top brass came out, CEO himself, and and spent some, a day or two in New York looking at him and said that his vision is for Murray's to become more Murray's to keep doing the things. What the that hell made, does that mean? I think you just like the alliteration. Right. You know, the corporate guys like that. They love to say yeah. things like that. It could be on a sticker soon. <laughs> Mo Murray's. Mo Murray's. <laughs> uh, you know, the things that have made them uh, distinctive and different. I mean, they are an old school, original New York shop. And, they are. And, you know, can you bring that to all the Kroger's around the country? They're trying. It's but, a good question. You know, but. What I think I hope he meant is is you don't don't change what you're doing in New York because New Yorkers will smell that in a minute. But they've already and, changed what they're doing here. I mean, when I first discovered Murray's, Murray's was a small shop, you know, on, on mm. Bleecker on Bleecker Street that sliced cheese, made sandwiches. It was uh, it didn't have an aging facility. Mm. It grew into that. Mm. Uh, but I am. Um, I think I think that that's interesting. I think it's the most of all of the retail cheese businesses that I know, especially in this city, and they've proven that by building all those kiosks. It's the most transportable, I guess would be the would be the way I would describe it. It has the brand hmm. that everybody recognizes. It has a figurehead, and mm-hmm. uh, and it sells good cheese. So, mm-hmm. I mean, hopefully it'll. Uh, the, the, I think the biggest fear in my when when I see things like that happening, um, 
So when you have one store or two stores, maybe even three stores, and you purchase cheese directly from a farm, you can get them paid in a reasonable amount of time. As you get bigger as a business, you have more expenses, your terms get longer. I've seen this with every business I've ever been a part of. So as the producers, if I were a producer that was doing business with with them, I would expect longer terms. And I'm not saying that um, to be, you know, just to be tumultuous or but that's just that's kind of the way that's the way it really works hmm. in my experience, you know, yeah. But hopefully that won't happen. <laughs> yeah, I can't say that's happened terribly often with us. What, what tends to happen more often is, um, you know, uh, if, uh, I, if, I, if, if, if if an invoice slips through the cracks, it's actually, sure. I, I call Ann, she answers the phone, we yeah. sort it out. If an invoice slips through the cracks at a, a bigger company, you get passed from a, accounts sure. payable to accounting to, a, you know. Yeah. Um, that you lose the directness, and it, and it's not just all romance. I mean, there's a real efficiency to being able to do business face to face that becomes more difficult. Yeah, and there's a reason scale, why you know? those businesses grew into larger businesses. The the initial models of efficiency yeah. allowed for them to make the profits to get there. That's all interesting stuff, and I'm actually really, I'm really happy to talk to you about it. Hmm. And uh, I just on a on a less, not inflammatory, but on a less uh, a global uh, spec. Uh, do you have any cheese experiments going on? you going to be doing anything new? Yeah, we're always um, tinkering, and uh, we've been at the drawing board oof, kind of the last year or two. You know, I spent so much time just refining the one, two cheeses we make that I and sort of, I, whenever we're trying to come up with something new, I, I always linger in that early stage. Sure. It's so fun to change things uh uh, ha- haphazardly take big risks because we just we don't do that with uh, Pleasant Ridge and Rush Creek. So we're we're still at that stage. We're trying all sorts of different sizes and formats. And uh, for us, with our you know seasonal milk production, we're talking about making cheese from a very specific time of year from a specific type of milk. So we're really responding as more to the uh, raw material than we are to the market. So we're trying to figure out. Um, you know, which milk we're, we're going to free up and uh, what the best format or you know, expression of that milk is. So there's kind of a window midsummer. Typically, uh, you know, it stops raining, gets pretty hot in the Midwest, late July, early August. So we usually stop making Pleasant Ridge for a couple of weeks, go to ACS. Sure, take a tiny take break. A tiny, take a tiny break, and by mid-August starts raining again. And um, so we have this period of milk that we've always sold, and... Um, you know, we'll park the cows in the shade, feed hay. Um, I'm interested in, in trying to use that milk. And what do then, you think? Well, uh, short turnaround, semi-soft yeah, cheese. Yeah, I am intrigued by small format. I mean, it's a nightmare on the production side. All the little pieces, right? You know, um, those little but, molds. Yeah, you know, the more time I think about it uh, on, on the retail side, and correct me if I'm wrong, it's awfully handy for you to receive a cheese in its original packaging drop it on the counter, and watch it leave in its original packaging. Oh, yeah, that's I mean, I, that's I'm, I'm attracted to the efficiency on your end of handling that. I'm even more attracted to uh, the, you know, preserving the integrity of the cheese and its packaging, you know, avoiding um, plastic wrap, ne- necessary sure. evil. I can accept that. Um, 
but uh, to to know that the cheese will stay in it, the packaging I want it to be in until it's eaten is a big deal. And it's so, a huge deal. Yeah. And for cheese mongers, uh, we just uh, there was just an event in Chicago that Emily Acosta and I were at Counterculture. Yep. Yeah. We we worked with Lassa and we did a little seminar on uh, the art of cheese mongering. In one of the uh, sections of our seminar, we spoke about the cheese make the cheese mongers need to fiddle with everything. And one of the points I tried to make in the in the presentation was to if if something comes in a box that's ready to sell, don't take it out of that box. Don't 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 mess around with it. You know because yeah. I think that as cheese mongery in the United States grows. People always want to take the cheese that you've made, and I'm guilty of this. I've been guilty of this for you know many, many, many years. And they want to say, "We got this cheese from Andy, and then we matured it yeah. in our own shop and did this to it, and now it's this." And I think that it's really key for someone like you to say, "We made this cheese. Don't fuck with it. Yeah. Put it out there as it is in the boxes that we that we put it in and sell it." Yeah, I don't know if you've done a show on this topic, but you know, affinage at the retail level, you know, what to do, what not to do. Sure, could fill a, could fill an episode here. And well, I think about it. I used to do it a lot when I was uh, when I was a kid, and I was at Dean and Deluca. I used to play with the cheese all of the time, and I got a lot of green cheese. I got a lot of green cheese from Europe, and mm-hmm. I got it was mostly European cheeses. I did that with. Because it's an interesting thing, yeah, and, it, and, and it connects you to the to the cheese making process as a retailer to see it change. Yeah, and it's occasionally as a producer, it's occasionally horrifying. I'm, well, I'm sure but, more than occasionally. But you don't want. I mean, you understand where that impulse comes from. Yeah, because that's what got you into cheese making. The same, you know, you want to create something, you want to influence it, you want to yeah. uh, change it, and and so you don't ever want to discourage that. Um, motivation from a cheesemonger, but uh, at the same point, you know, so many of shops and cheesemongers aren't uh, set up and educated to do it yeah. properly. And um, so, you want to make a smaller cheese for them in packaging, maybe with that- a big orange sticker that "Do Not Unwrap." <laughs> That's great, and you might have to do that. Yeah. You know? Um, so, uh, you know, uh, that period of the season is, is coming up. And so, uh, we'll, uh, make another run of trial cheeses. And another difficult thing with us is, you know, our, our milk changes so much throughout the season. I'll, I'll, we'll take a run at it, uh, in July here. Uh, it'll be ripe, what, November, December, and then we'll wait again, <laughs> take another run next right. July. It's a slow process. Right. Uh, we're also playing around with some November milk that we've always sold. So we ran a bunch of trials last fall. and uh, So there, there are a couple of windows of, of, of milk that we still sell, uh, which would, uh, you know, it's kind of low-hanging fruit. to Right. It's there. For growth. Yeah. You have it. Yeah. But, uh, you know, there are market considerations at the same time. There, there's a lot of cheese out there, as we were saying earlier. Yes. And, and, um, I want to talk to you about that after we take a break, and that, yeah. is, that specifically. So... No, so hold that thought. But um, so we can maybe we, we might see a new cheese from you. Maybe is that what you're saying? That's uh, before too long. Before know. too long. Great way to give me nothing. I really appreciate that. That's awesome. <laughs> so, so we're gonna we're gonna take a short break, and then when we come back, we're gonna talk about uh, cheese culture and uh, staying relevant in a burgeoning market. <laughs> 
Hang with us. Today's program is brought to you by the Wisconsin Milk Marketing Board. Wisconsin produces the world's best cheese, period. Why? Lush grasslands, glacial water supply, fourth-generation cheesemakers, combining old-world tradition with the new ideas and highest standards. The very best milk. What do you think of when you think of Wisconsin cheese? For me, I think cheese curds, delicious fresh cheese curds, or deep-fried cheese curds. Cheese curds literally any way, any time, any place. I think about Andy Hatch and Upland's Cheese Company, the operation behind the Pleasant Ridge Reserve cheese that's literally America's most awarded cheese. I think of the deliciously stinky Limburger and its long-storied history. I think about Raleigh's Dumbarton Blue, a perfect blend of English-style cheddar and notes of blue. I think of Emmy Roth's Grand Cru Chirchois, which was named 2016's World Champion at the World Championship Cheese Contest. Wisconsin is like the world champion of cheese, and once you start reading the list of cheeses made in Wisconsin on their website, you can see why. The Wisconsin Milk Marketing Board is a nonprofit organization funded entirely by Wisconsin's dairy farm families. Read more at eatwisconsincheese.com. And as soon as you're done listening to this podcast, eat Wisconsin cheese. It's a no-brainer. Hi, I'm Mary Izette. And I'm Rachel Jacobs. And we're hosts of Ferment Ferment About It. It, A weekly journey of all things fermented on Heritage Radio Network. Tune in on Mondays at 7 p.m. to hear about all things fermented, from sauerkraut to sourdough and all things between. Support our show and all of Heritage Radio Network's programming. Go to heritageradionetwork.org and click on the beating heart to donate. Hello and welcome back to Cutting the Curd. This is still Greg Blaze, and I still have Andy Hatch here in the studio who came here all the way from Wisconsin. We were catching up before the break and uh, talking about expansion, secession, all kinds of neat stuff. And in this half of the show, or this portion of the show, I'd love to talk about cheese culture in America. You touched on it in a couple of comments you made while we were speaking. Uh, With so many new cheesemakers popping up every day, how do you maintain your presence and relevance in the market? So many times you see trendy cheeses making their way in and out of cheese counters and on Instagram photos and this and that. But Pleasant Ridge just seems to stay right there. Why and how is that? Uh, I'd like to believe that, uh, you know, any distinctive cheese is you know, always going to be respected for being distinctive, uh, uh-huh. as opposed to being, uh, you know, new or faddish. But of course, you know, America being America, we, we always, you know, want new and different things. And I think that's been a real strength of the cheese industry the last 15 years. And you, you have to regard Pleasant Ridge in that way, really, in that it's in some ways traditionally, uh, you know, a Beaufort-style cheese, but we changed the breeds of cows that are used, the size and shape of the wheel. So, we, you know, we've played with tradition and ourselves, but uh, we have continued just doing the same cheeses in the same traditional ways. And uh, I do worry sometimes that we'll, you know, get lost amongst all the, uh, you know, shiny new gadgets out there. And um, it's, you know, it's it's not a disheartening thought, It's but... Uh, 
you look for other examples of uh, traditional products that that have remained more or less unchanged and and kept a strong following. And so you think about wine often, you know, uh, people making essentially the same amount of the same type of wine for hundreds of years. I'm thinking of Burgundy, say, and you say, well, look at there, you know, you don't hear people going to DRC and saying, well, you got anything new? Right. Uh, but you dig a little bit deeper and, and, you know, they've changed their vineyard management over the decades. They've, they've changed winemaking techniques. And so, I mean, I, I think you've got to continually, um, evolve and improve and, and processes like ours or, or natural style winemaking. I mean, your raw materials are always changing, so yeah. it's not ever, it doesn't ever feel on the production end like a static product. So we, we feel like we're creating new cheeses uh every year and so when we talk uh to customers about our cheese we're always talking about new cheeses so i was right. just at murray's and we were tasting through the the 2016s um it, it's new the, the cheeses are you know reflecting their different flavors from our farm than they were in the from the 15s and so uh in that sense especially when you're seasonal there is a there always that feeling of um uh, a new vintage, something more to talk about, something new to learn. Um, and personally, that always satisfies me. I, I feel challenged and and really rewarded to to just continually try to refine the, the one cheese year after year. As a buyer, I, you know, I would look to you to answer a question. You know, how, how do you uh, decide to keep buying Pleasant Ridge when there are, you're surrounded by all these uh, other new alpine style cheeses you know there's all these a lot op- of other alpine all these appenzeller the variations now. coming in from switzerland right. new american producers um I, I don't know what goes through your mind when you are, are deciding whether to buy something tried and true or new and promising well i think that a lot of it has to do uh, for, in my case particularly with the relationships that i've forged over a long period of time and the relationship, my relationship with it, with Uplands is is very strong and has been for a long time. And I also, I'm an, I'm a fair arbiter of quality, and uh, and I believe that you should reward consistency, hmm. if if that makes any sense. Uh, there's um, when I worked back when I worked for Dean and Deluca a long time ago. You know, I looked at the way. The way I had I had things in in terms of I have three items. These three items uh, of of those three items, one has to be here. It's a signature of, of our store. The other two are here because they're good. So if you bring me an item that's the same, it has to be not only good enough to replace one of the two items that I've already have a history buying, but it has to be exponentially better from them in order for me to replace the relationship that I have with the other two items, if that makes, mm-hmm. If mm-hmm. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. And, um, and with cheese, I, I, I stick to what I know is going, to be, is going to be good, and I think that it behooves me and the operations that I'm a part of to continue to support the things that I've always continued to support. I also think that as more cheese gets into the market – it makes more sense to be somewhat somewhat regional in your in your selections of, of, of items. You know, you talked about the Burgundy wine producers and cheese producers. They have a they have a consortium set up to protect 
and grade their product. We don't do that here, although I think that the cheese guilds that I see reforming and becoming stronger, I think, can act to help that to help that happen, to help producers in, in Massachusetts and in, in Wisconsin and Vermont to make the cheese that's always been being made in those areas using those raw materials and the terroir that those raw materials produce. And that's how they stand out. The Uplands is a, is a cheese that um, supersedes the regionality because it's been being made for a, for a long period of time in terms of this country. And the secession that, well, from Mike to you, was successful, and I know who I'm dealing with, it remains a cut above those other cheeses. And I know that it will be because I have that history, if that mm. makes any sense. Yeah, well, I know it's, it's nice to hear you say that. Thank you. And uh, I think that, uh, you know, producers of our scale uh, or our particular, you know, farm um we're in in pretty good shape you know we we have debt from having bought the place um but we haven't overextended ourselves sure we we know what we're doing and and certainly don't make any large mistakes uh i do worry in this kind of environment a lot of cheese out there a lot of uh, new cheese about the smaller producers trying to get into the game now I think it's a pretty difficult environment. We were, we were saying this earlier. So, I agree. You know, you, you want to encourage um, diversity in, in American cheese making. I mean, that's been our hallmark, right, for the last 10 years. Lots of new cheeses. But it is uh, I think it reaches it a tipping tough. point. And, and that's, yeah, what I, I've, I really, I come to New York to sort of check in on the scene. Because I, otherwise, I've had my head down at the farm in the last several months. But that's kind of why I'm here, to get a feel for what, what's what does it look like in the shops right now? Because what I hear talking to people on the phone is that uh, things are sluggish, you know, and, and I wonder if if ours and cheese market in this country is is, is pushing more cheese uh, in, into the channels that it can really... Uh, I think that it is. ...sell, uh, and, and so you're just chopping a pie up into smaller, smaller pieces. Smaller pieces. And, uh, you know, again, there are people smarter about macroeconomics than I am, but you talk to... Uh, those kinds of people, and they say, "Well, it's a natural, you know, contraction of the market, and and um, you know, the herd gets culled, and you know, weak producers I, fall by the wayside. There's I agree a lot with of that. price pressure, and um, so natural or not, that process sounds a little scary. You don't want to see um, small, new quality producers uh, going out of business, but no, but this- I, I do feel like it, it's different." Uh, set of conditions out there than even five, but certainly 10 years ago when there was a feeling of, you know, make whatever new cheese you can, charge whatever you need to sure. charge, we're going to buy it all. Uh, now there are a lot more conversations about price. There are a lot more conversations about food safety. And um, you just don't see the, uh, you know, the the aggressive buy it. We'll buy it all because we can sell it all. Uh, no, mentality. the fun times are over, man. I mean that way. They just are, and the world is a different and in a lot of place, a lot of times, scarier place than it was five or ten years ago, in terms of what people will pay and what they think is safe for them to purchase yeah. and eat. Yeah. And so, I mean, uh, to try to, as a Midwesterner, I feel like I always have to put a positive spin on it. <laughs> you know, to try to put sure. a positive spin on it, I think then you know our. Our, our culture can look to, instead of just expanding for expansion's sake, new cheeses for the sake of 
novelty, we can try to really drill down and refine the cheeses that are important to us. You know, we can, as producers, improve cheeses we're making, and retailers ought to be improving the way they they handle it. I agree. And, um, you know, you see encouraging signs on that end. You know, uh, you look at the way media treats cheese, it's... It's gotten better. I would have told you five years ago, I didn't think there was the market for more cheese books. And sure enough... There they are. Kinstead has a new one. Oxford Companion came out. Elena wrote a uh, great book. Uh, you know, uh, so I, I think people are are still as interested in cheese as ever. And, and instead of making more and trying to sell more cheese, let's concentrate on doing it better. I agree. And I think that we have to rethink our market for cheese a little bit. Like I said, some of it... Pleasant Ridge Reserve is an established, an established cheese. I can take that with me. We're gonna we're gonna open up a store in Los Angeles. I can bring it there. Brought it to Boston. I bring it, you know, and I brought it wherever I've gone because it transcends the region that it's from. It becomes something else. There are a lot of other cheeses that I feel like people need to dial back a little bit and sell around in and around where they're made. The cheesemaker sells them or the cheesemaker's family, you know, whoever you can spare to go to the farmer's market sells it closer to where it's made. Yeah. And then it grows into a national, a national thing. Yeah. Or perhaps not. I mean, maybe the, um, the maturation of the cheese market is becoming more regional like you see in parts of the old world. Right. I think that maybe that's a logical. I think it goes that way after, after a period of time because yeah. we're – you know, as Americans and uh, as food people, we seem to be going back to 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 come forward because we're relying on on very old old ways hmm. uh, to persevere through a minefield of sort of newfangled terminology, legislation, you know, uh, hmm. and uh, and you know, perceived or real health risks if that, if that makes any sense mm. and the best way to deal with that is to is to draw it back in mm. i think i see it going that way and i hope that it does because i also want anybody to succeed that makes cheese and does it well i think i think there is a natural market correction uh, that happens in the world. Yeah, I mean, instead of a counter with um, 160 cheeses, about 45 of which are mediocre. Right. Yeah. Yeah, 45, great. And of that 45, 30 of them are made are... from made by people who hand deliver it to the shop. I saw that in a small store I worked at in, in Sag Harbor, where um, the the guy Ludlow would bring his cheese right in, and his farm was down the road. People came to it. It, it. The cheese got better as we sold more of it, but it was from there, and people really related to that. Hmm. So maybe we'll see some more types of businesses that are are local, localized. Yeah, uh, whatever um, f- food fads change, and I, and I hope you know support for ours and cheese isn't a fad. But no, uh, it is. What, whatever fads change, I would I would hope that uh, you know commitment to buying. From neighbors buying regionally doesn't. I I would think that's here to stay. I think so too. And cheese isn't going anywhere either. I can or I mean I I don't feel no. that it is. Uh, you know it, this, the market is a little. Yeah, I don't know. We we hear about all these ironic hipsters in this neighborhood. Maybe they're, <laughs> maybe they're going to start 
sourcing food from as far away as possible. How about that? In a restaurant in, in Bushwick with, with the most food miles ever. We pay so much <laughs> to get this over two oceans yeah. to get here. Yeah, you never know. Could happen. I hope it doesn't, you know, but I, I really hope it doesn't <laughs> because I would have to deal with that somehow. Um, well, I want to thank you so much for coming on per usual and then making the great cheese that you do. We really appreciate it, uh, myself and everybody else that buys it and, uh, and everybody else that sells it. So uh, I'm going to hold you to that when you're 60. You know, we're going to come back in here and we're going to do another show. And I hope it's answer in the that exact question. same yep, uh, spot, Roberta's. Definitely will be. So stay tuned for more Cutting the Curd and uh, thanks for listening. Ciao, ciao. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.